Our Bible reading this morning will be taken from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dealt, dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Friends, I am so honored to be with you on a very special day like Family Day. And I want to congratulate you for, first of all, having such a day. And I suppose having it annually, and in particular on the uniqueness of this day, September 11th, having Grandparents Day. We have Grandparents Day tomorrow at Freed Hardeman. We will have, I'm sure, a grandparent that will be speaking and most likely one of our current students who will be responding to that speech. Always a great occasion and great luncheon to follow, and perhaps some of you are planning to come, and if not, maybe you will. But we're having a great year. I bring you greetings from Henderson, the home of Freed Hardeman, that has given you David and Andrew and Phil and others, and we are so proud of them, and it's a great thing as one of their teachers to be here with you and to see what a tremendous gathering today. So much to be impressed about Mount Juliet. I have said to a number that the Lord had a very good day when he made Middle Tennessee. I am a native of Middle Tennessee. I am from Woodbury and very proud of it. Some would say, oh, the home of Uncle Dave Macon, for those of you who still remember artists like that. But it's always good to come home. And as you see the growth and the development of this area, as you leave the exit on the interstate and see the new road that comes into your beautiful community, and to see one of the very first things that is so impressive, and that is this building that is dedicated to the work of God and to the Lord Jesus and to the help of as many people as we can touch. We are so grateful for you. We are proud of you, and we esteem you extremely highly. I told my daughter last night that I had never been asked to speak on grandparents before. I am honored to have the opportunity today. I also told her that I am grateful that she has given me at least one qualification for doing so. I have a grandpuppy. <laughs> I have learned a great deal, Joan and I have, about grandparents by having a grandpuppy. For one thing, we have learned that if we could love this dog this much, we're going to be the worst grandparents ever when it comes to spoiling a grandchild. And I know you say, no, 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 I've already done that. But that is indeed one of the wonders of being a grandparent. You see this verse that is on stage, grandchildren are the crown of old men. There are rewards for growing older, 
and becoming a grandmother and a grandfather are certainly a reward from God himself. Proverbs 17 and verse 6. There is a story of a grandmother who was making a visit to the home of her children and grandchildren. And on Saturday morning, a little grandson got up really early because he wanted to fix his grandmother's coffee. And so as she sat at the kitchen table enjoying her cup of coffee that had been made by her grandson, as she sipped it and as she enjoyed it, she eventually says, Honey, why are there two little army guys in my cup? To which he says, Well, grandmother, you should know. As they say on TV, the best part of waking up is soldiers in your cup. <laughs> and so that grandmother smiled, and she enjoyed every sip of that coffee even more with much greater pride. Someone has told me that after you have your first grandchild, you think that there is absolutely no way you could ever love another one that much until that other one comes along and you find that you have even more love available in your heart. And when the next one comes, even more love in your heart in fact, your heart never outgrows your grandchildren. Joan and I are really looking forward to more than just a grandpuppy. There is an author who has written on this particular topic by the name of Arthur Kornbehaber. Here's what he says. The bond between a child and a grandparent is the purest form of human love. Grandparents are special for a lot of obvious reasons, but one of them is because of the emotional stability that they can provide their grandchildren, especially when there may have been problems and difficulties in the lives of the parents of the child. They pass on traditions, they pass on stories, they pass on songs, they pass on games and skills, and in the process of doing all of that, they are passing on great and beautiful memories. Oftentimes, they also have more time available than mom and dad. And that's special, too. Kornhaber goes on to say that children who are close to at least one grandparent are more emotionally secure and have more uh, positive feelings about older people and the process of aging. I think that I have seen that proved to be true, especially in ministry, and perhaps especially in our students at Freed Hardeman. It seems that there are a number of people who are attracted to the work of social work, which I think is a great ministry, and in particular to the work of those who are older, taking care of them, providing for them, working in all kinds of facilities and institutions, and when you talk with them about that, they'll go back to talking about how much they love their grandmother or their grandfather, and because of that, they have always loved older people. And of course, I realize that you don't have to be all that old to be a grandparent. In fact, here are some contemporary numbers from our culture about grandparenting. 
there are over 60 million of you, those of you who are grandparents, in the United States alone. The average American woman becomes a grandmother at the age of 46. There are almost a million American households where grandparents are actually raising their grandchildren. There are five million children who are living with their grandparents all the time. There are other grandparents who are providing daycare or uh, help in raising children, regular childcare in their homes. And then because of the mobility of our society, there are a lot of grandparents who are having to learn about grandparenting long distance, but they are still learning grandparenting skills. Grandparents are grand because when you put those two words together, grand has a very special meaning as well as parents, a very special meaning. Here's what the dictionary says about grand. It means having more importance than others, foremost, having higher rank, large, striking in size, in scope, in extent, or conception. Very good, the definition says, and wonderful, the definition says. Now, for those of you who are blessed with grandparents like that, no wonder that you have them here today celebrating this very special occasion with you. In these few moments together, I would like to ask, what are gifts that a grandparent offers his or her grandchild? May I suggest, first of all, that we have our past to offer as a gift. Now, what I have noticed about college students is that if you are older than they are, you already are ancient history. So you can imagine how old a grandparent may appear to be to a grandchild but not necessarily when they are really young. Oh, there is great admiration and there is great love and respect on the part. And if we're honest and if we take in their wisdom and counsel as we should, that's only going to grow. But one of the things about the past that we have to give our grandchildren is the oral history of our family. Family is so important that we're having a family day, and that's a biblical concept. In a way, every day is family day, but there are so many things to emphasize in the life of the church. But we need at least one day of the year to do this. We're the family of God, and then we have our own family that God has given us. And yet, we're so busy, and we can fail to take the time to really tell what is great about the ancestry and the background of our family unit. Some of you recall back in the late 70s, how that our country absolutely stopped for two hours per night during a two-week period when there was an ABC miniseries by the name of Roots. Alex Haley, the famous author who gave the story of his life in written form that was purchased by the ABC network, and we really stopped every night as a country to watch those two-hour ep uh, two episodes for those two weeks. Near the end of that particular series, Alex Haley came on the screen himself. He later came to our campus and made a presentation to our Fried Hardeman family. In both places, as I'm sure he did everywhere, one of the things that he encouraged was, go to the people in your family, the older people in your family that you still have, who know and remember the history of your family. 
Ask them questions about your ancestors. Take note of them because every life is a library. And when that life is gone, so is that library gone. And learn as much from them. And write it down and record it. Well, what happened from that? People started going like crazy to begin family trees, going to courthouses, going to various places within our state, within our nation, and a lot of folks make trips to Europe just for the sake of finding old documents that they've traced their families back that far. There's something incredibly wonderful about that. Sometimes we don't really understand our heritage or appreciate it like we should. We also don't understand our personalities or our dispositions, our affections, our convictions like we should. Today, as we close our services, I will be making my way to Franklin to spend the afternoon with my 94-year-old mother that I plan to bring back with me tonight. You're talking about a living library. Every time that I am with her, I continue to learn new things, not just about life, but in particular about our background, about our family. I treasure those, as I'm sure that you do as well. But talking about what life was like when you were a young man or a young lady can be very encouraging and inspiring to your grandchildren. There is a story about a grandmother who was doing just that to her granddaughter one day and said, when I was a little girl your age, in the winter we had a frozen pond. And we went out and would skate on that frozen pond. And other parts of the year, I had a pony, and I rode that pony every day. And that little girl says, Grandma, I sure wish I'd known you sooner. She'd like to have done all of that. And you know, there are things that some of our children today never have the chance to do. Oh, they're doing a lot of other things that they would like to do and enjoy doing, but there are a lot of things, unfortunately, that they miss because times are so different and we need to share those memories. Back in Genesis 48, as Jacob the patriarch was preparing to be gathered to his own people, as the text says, he gathers Joseph and Joseph's 11 brothers around his bed as he lay dying. And he blesses each one of them. And as he begins to do so, he says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. And as a result of God blessing him, he then proceeds to place a blessing upon each one of those boys, telling them what their future is going to be, telling them what they can anticipate in the days and years to come. Wise grandfathers and grandmothers do that too. It is said that grandmothers especially make the very best counselors in life because they've seen just about everything there is to see and they've experienced most of it. And therefore there is a wisdom there that is always to be listened to. You may not agree with it, but you would be wise to listen to it because wisdom comes as a result of the combination of age and of experience, of knowledge that combines with wisdom that cannot be bought. Jacob was relating in that memorial farewell address his relationship with God. 
It was a relationship that had been there even from the time of his birth. And that relationship was supposed to be passed on not just to those 12 boys, but to all the descendants that would be born to them. And they were. I love the Apostle Paul, as you do, for more reasons than I could ever begin to list. But I love the way he says to young Timothy about the genuine faith that is in you was first in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your mother, Eunice, and I am sure is in you too. One of the people that we look forward to seeing the very most outside the Lord himself is the Apostle Paul, but I also look forward to meeting Timothy, don't you? What an outstanding young man that Paul commends in this very special way. As Moses was preparing to tell the children of Israel his farewell, he does so in oral form that is written down in the book of Deuteronomy. A series of farewell speeches where over and over again he says to moms and dads and to grandmothers and to grandfathers, remember to teach them the commandments that I have taught you. That is, in fact, the way that the the faith is passed on from one generation to the next. What a beautiful gathering we have today and how encouraging it is to be in a gathering like this to see that that is being done. When we give the gift of our past, we're basically sharing not only important information about who we are, what we are, where we've come from, why we're here, what we stand for, where we're headed, But it is also the context of all of that that gives us the opportunity to share our faith with our grandchildren, with our offspring. How wonderful it is for a grandfather to talk to his grandson about how God has blessed his life and what the Lord Jesus means to him every moment of every day and why that he is one step closer to the tomb why the Bible continues to be a lamp to his feet and a light to his way, and why he believes so much in the church with all the wonderful opportunities as well as challenges that lie before us. God's family is also his family. And why that he has such great hopes and aspirations for that boy, for that girl, as they grow up anticipating making a family of their own with the blessing of God. I'm telling you, That kind of background does not leave you. It is a part of you. And so one thing that we have to give our grandchildren is the gift of our own past. But secondly, we also give our presence. As we think about spending time with our grandchildren, I know that a lot of you would like to spend a lot more time But as you have the opportunity to spend time with these little ones coming along, make your home a place that is always remembered as a place that is welcome, you're welcome, and a place of great warmth. Take advantage of the opportunity to read them Bible stories. And in particular, as you listen to them pray, be sure that they have the opportunity to hear you pray before every meal, before they leave, as they come, 
in any other great time of day or night. Tell them what the Lord means to you and why. In fact, I've heard of some grandparents who do not have the opportunity to spend day to day or even week to week with their grandchildren. They're separated by miles and states, sometimes even countries. That what they do, they record the reading of a Bible story on cassette tape or on CD, and then they'll record other stories, maybe memories from their youth or memories from when mom and dad were boys and girls. And they will send those recordings to those grandchildren. Vacations, letters, emails, phone calls, all of these provide time with grandchildren when they do not have the opportunity to be near. But then thirdly, we have the gift of our provisions. You know, really when it comes down to it, everything that you and I possess, as has been mentioned this morning already in our prayer, right before the giving, the offering, Everything that we have has come from God. You might recall, some of you especially, the movie, the James Stewart movie, Shenandoah, which has a number of tremendous lessons in it. But one lesson that is not necessarily exemplary of the lead character that Stewart plays is the way that the leader of his family, Mr. Anderson, a farmer in Virginia in the midst of the Civil War who refused to take sides, would lead his family in prayer at the dinner table. He would pray something like this, God, we're the ones who have worked this land. We're the ones who have cleared the fields and plowed them. We're the ones who have planted the seed and harvested the crop. You didn't do any of it. Amen. And then the family was supposed to enjoy a meal. In the course of that story, Mr. Anderson learned to pray a far different prayer. Life does that to us. If we do not know already, life will teach us that God really is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And what it is that he has blessed us with, we're to share. We're not to hoard to ourselves. There should not be such a thing as a selfish parent and even more so, a selfish grandparent. That doesn't mean that you give everything away before it's your time to, but it does mean that you make provision to do so. Along the way, oh, there, there are many kinds of helps that we can give. We can help with clothing, and we can help with toys, and we can help with books, and we might even have some seed money for college. But as we think about when we're gone, as we think about provisions from our estate for those that we love, one wise investment would be to set aside a certain sum for the Christian education of our grandchildren. It is needed more than ever before, and it has always been needed. But what a wise grandparent it is who thinks of making such a lasting gift. We give our provisions, but lastly, we also have the gift of our prayers. You know, I've heard uh, people say how much that if they had money, how much they would give to the Lord. And I believe them because they have been generous in everything else that they have. I've heard people say, 
I cannot do anything more for you, or I cannot do anything more for those people, or I can't do anything more for the church, or for this person who is in tremendous need physically, than to pray for them. As if to say, that's a last resort. That should be the very first thing that we do for one another. Because when we do that, we're calling upon the greatest resource at all of all, our Father, who is not limited in any way. And we pray for our children, as parents do, much more than children know, and much more than grandchildren can know. When we pray, we are bringing the full resources of heaven itself into the lives of our families. Never heard anyone say, I pray too much. Just about all of us would confess, I do not pray nearly enough. That's one thing that a prosperous country does to you. That's one thing that abundance does to you until you have a 9-11 and you're brought to your senses. Until you have a Katrina and you're brought to your senses about just how really weak and limited in of ourselves we are, but not when we call upon the limitless power of our Father in heaven. Samuel made a tremendous statement as he spoke to a group of Israelites one day when he says, God forbid that I should sin against heaven by failing to pray for you. If you sometimes wonder why your life has been so blessed, I'm afraid sometimes we wonder why we do not have even more. But if you wonder sometimes why your life is so blessed, I would venture to say that there is at least one person and probably more in your life, in your family, where a day and a night does not go by that your name is not taken to the throne of God. I know that is true in my life. And I think of those prayers as being the responsible factor. Again, God forbid that I should sin against heaven by failing to pray for you. Pray for your children and your grandchildren. Even when there are disappointments, the end is not yet. It is often going through the greatest difficulty that we see the greatest rewards to our efforts. I remember the morning of 9-11, four years ago, as you do. I remember hearing about the first tragedy while finishing getting ready to go to school, listening to ESPN radio. As I rushed to turn the TV on when one of those guys says there's been a tragic accident in one of the towers of the World Trade Center. And then when we turned the TV on in time to see the second tower struck, we knew that it wasn't an accident. We knew we were being attacked. And I remember having the kind of fear that I had not felt 
Since the days of the Cold War as a child, when our teachers at school would warn us about nuclear war and what the effects of that would be, and folks in my hometown like yours began digging in their backyards building fallout shelters. I remember that day, that fear that I had not known since. But as we watched the unfolding of those events that day, there were members of the Bible faculty who gathered into my office to watch the little TV I have in there, basically for when news interrupts whatever is going on in the world. And as we sat around in that room watching those events, I'll always remember how that I kept asking the question, how in the world is Romans 8.28 going to be true today? And before the day was over, I already had the answer. Because our country was coming together like it had not come together in many, many years, even decades. There were people turning to God and to the Lord and to the church and coming back to the church that had not done so in a long, long time. And while we still wonder about whys and wherefores, whatever happens, God can take and make good come from it, even as he is in the midst of our present distress of Katrina. So many stories of faith, of fortitude, of giving, of heroism. When little ones see examples of bigger ones and older ones living their lives with the understanding that we are not in charge, we are not in control, God is. And it is in his hand that we place our lives. It is to him that we commit every breath that we breathe, for it is in him that we live and move and have our being. They grow up learning that. And even if they choose to depart from it, they will not forget the rock-solid foundation that they have been given. And who knows when they'll return to that foundation. Let's pray daily, many times a day, for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I close with two rather personal stories, one that's just recently been told to me. Many of you know my friend and brother and partner, Roy Sharp, who a few days ago was called back to his hometown of Ridgely, right on Real Foot Lake in west, northwest Tennessee, to do the funeral service for a dear family friend, an older gentleman who was a grandfather. One of the things that we like to do in preparing for funeral services is to give the family the opportunity to recite, to remember, to share whatever it is that they will take with them from this particular life. There was a daughter-in-law who made this observation about this man that was being honored on that day. She said he was in his element when he was with his grandchildren. But when all the BB guns and when all the video games and every other toy that makes a child's eyes light up, when all of those are gone, 
the thing that will be remembered about him the most is how he loved the Lord and how he taught his children and grandchildren to love the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I could go to face the Lord with a tribute like that. When it really gets down to it, what could be more important than a legacy like that? I really did not have the opportunity to know either set of my grandparents very well. One set did live to my age of 12, but they were distant, they were away, and so I really did not get to spend time with them. The parents on my mother's side died, both of them, when she was 12 years old, and she was the oldest of five children. She had to become somewhat of a parent very quickly. That was 1923. But I carry the memory of that particular grandfather with me wherever I go, and here's why. One day when I was a boy, my mother and I were out in our yard, working in the yard. To this day, I love doing that. It's not work, it's therapy. And down the street on his way home from his law office was one of the elder statesmen in our community of Woodbury, Barrett Melton. He was the mayor of Woodbury for many years. His law partner was Jim Cummings, for those of you who know something about the history of state legislature. Mr. Melton, who was also a member of the church, stopped to visit with my mother, and I just happened to overhear the conversation. She knew this story, but she delighted in hearing it again because, again, she lost her dad and mom to different illnesses at the age of 12. And so as she stopped, or he stopped to visit with her, he again told her how they were best friends in school. And then he went on to say, Opal, I have known a lot of good men, but your father was the best man I have ever known. Now, as I listened to that at about the age of 10, I appreciated that about as much as I could at that time. But I cannot tell you how much more that means to me now. And that is why that someday, just like you who've had loved ones gone before, who perhaps you did not have the chance to meet this side of heaven, that I look forward to seeing him for the first time. I know where he is. His tomb is in a beautiful cemetery adjacent to the Elkins congregation in a hilltop that overlooks the town of Woodbury. I look forward to seeing him for the first time. And it's not just because of his goodness that's going to make that possible, oh no. Because he was good, because he believed in God and in the Lord Jesus. And as a young man, he was obedient to the gospel. And even though he did not have long to enjoy a faithful wife and five beautiful children, he set the path that would raise all of them in the Lord's church. 
Today we seem to encourage anyone who is ready to become a member of the Lord's family. All of us today stand on great shoulders that are broad, both moms and dads and grandmothers and grandfathers, great-grandparents. It is indeed wonderful to go back and search the roots of our physical ancestry. It is even more value to know the roots of your spiritual ancestry. And as you do so, I hope today that you're rededicated to the church that not only you love, but they love. We are here today in one of the best congregations that I know of in our brotherhood. We're here today because of so many who have gone before us who would love to be here, but we would not bring them back because they're with the Lord, including these two beautiful little boys mentioned just a few moments ago in prayer. I know that you love the Lord for making all of that possible. And we sing praise to him as we sing to encourage. And if you've not yet been born into his family through faith, through penitence, through the confession of your faith in the midst of others, and by being baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection, we encourage you to come home to him today. And for those who have been away, Mark Twain said about homes, you know, if you have to go there, they have to take you in. Well, listen, the Lord's church wants to take you in. Our spiritual family is here always yearning for us to come home. Whatever your need, we hope that you'll do just that. In gratitude to our Father's never-ending gifts while we stand, while we see.